This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. We've been talking about museums last week and uh, today we'll be talking about some museum pieces. I speak that last phrase rather ironically. Uh, I'll actually be talking about an auction. When India was independent for about 10 or so years in uh, 1958, uh, a number of memoirs and books were published on the former princely states and their rulers. Certainly there was a sweep of nostalgia for these old ancient rulers of india who had been technically removed from their seats of authority but how really did they spend uh, those days how really did they cope with the independence of india well, that's a long story and it will take many episodes and books but one of the sure shot uh, conclusions was that they had to cut down on their expenses some of them were of course very rich and some were relatively less so but uh, since india received its independence all of them had to curtail their expenditure one can still see in um, 1958 that process of uh, tightening their belts at work and one of the places you could see the reduction of princes was at auctions the jewelry shops bore testimony to it too but the auctions were more dramatic so one of the foreign observers was in bombay and at the time his highness the maharaja of kashmir had been organizing um, an auction in fact he had been organizing a regular auction he had been auctioning some of the belongings in his bombay palace for sale through several weeks as a matter of fact the auction at the time did not generate a great deal of interest uh, it was such a regular affair in fact uh, that the sales which were held once a week went on and on a long drawn out series of auctions now these sales took place in the bombay palace or residence of the maharaja of kashmir it was a great hilltop palace the palace he intended to sell as well once uh, there was no longer anything um, ready or necessary for selling in auction the palace was essentially preserved as a venue for auction so um there were previews of these auctions they would be open to the public almost 7 days a week um one of the friends of this writer who were themselves british a couple really lived in bombay and they were interested in bidding for some of the items that had been listed in that week's auction so they took this writer for a sneak peek or a preview of that auction frankly at the time there were different kinds of opinion and different kinds of reasons for purchase of these uh, 
objects from the former rulers. This British couple, for instance, said, and I quote, you simply can't buy European furniture here except in this way because of import restrictions. So um, the friend of this writer said, as they drove up to the ramp, through the ramp rather, leading to the palace. Indian things, they said, are nice to look at, but it's my experience that they don't last as long as European things. And these Maharajas always bought the best. So said or thought the friend. Now her husband uh, said, not always, there's a lot of junk mixed in. So what were these expensive European articles and, if I may, the junks? So they came to a stop on a plateau that spread out in front of the palace, which also served as the parking area and commanded an excellent view. A number of visitors, mostly Indians, were chatting on a wide stairway that led up to a veranda and the palace doors. The palace doors were wide open. It was a warm day and the huge building with its doors opened and with no curtains or blind at its windows looked rather strange. Usually, in the early afternoon, Bombay houses would be closed and shuttered against the sun. Now, they walked in and found themselves in a large square hall and in the midst of uh, a sauntering crowd, which was made up uh, mostly of people who were there to, to take a look at things over and decide what to bid for when the sale was to be held. They took particular attention of the Parsis. The Parsis, of course, um, played a large part in Bombay's business life. Several of them had been dealers, and there are others who want. But then um, they also noticed a Percy dweller who owned uh, a shop in the middle of the town. And uh, they noticed that the jeweler had been taking a look at uh, some of these jewelries on display. Was it the Japu necklace? Um, there could be. It might also be Woolworth costume and so on. And these affairs you simply never know said the companion. So beyond the hall, there was um, a relatively small um, room. And on either side of that room, there was um, two other vast rooms, which stretched out to the ends of the building. The hall and all these three rooms had been cleared of whatever furnishings, carpets, wall decorations they might have once contained. And they now looked like a venue for auction. So what did really they see? For clothes, they saw plenty. The place looked like a museum. <laughs> and they were filled with objects neatly displayed and each bearing a number. In the small room, there were long tables arranged in the shape of a U. On one of these tables... Um, they were stacked in rows, bolts of cloths, each with a very simple um, or um, sample, I'm sorry, unfolded. There was brocade, lace, linen, plush, 
mattress, um, silk sheeting, as well as matching cartons and slipovers. On the other tables, there were sheets and pillowcases and bedspreads and tablecloths. Some of them had never been used. Yet, some of them were yellow with age. Some were worn out and some were terrible enough to be, to be thrown away. Now, there was also a very large collection of bath towels. Enough of them to stock a good-sized hotel. Half of one of these tables was given over to rugs of many sizes. There were two big, splendid Persian carpets hanging on one of the walls. A few odds and ends uh, of embroidery tacked up near the wall. There was a man in a Gandhi cap and... Uh, he was also a dealer, said the English friend. So um, they made uh, a note, uh, this English couple, about a length of brocade which they wanted to purchase. And then they moved to one of the side rooms. Along the walls of that room were carved chests. And these chests were, um, were accompanied by a variety of chairs here and there. There was a glass-fronted cabinet full of china, glass, and silver utensils. In the center of the room, there was a long table loaded with more china and glass and silverware. There was a sea of small objects impossible to describe en masse, like, for instance, the content of a gift shop. In most auctions of, of things, which belong to private homes, there's an underlying note of pathos. You feel sorry that they're losing their wealth. No matter how banal the thought may be, it is difficult not to feel a pang that this is a, a bit of a guilt at the sight of a family's battered desks and tables about to be dispensed to the highest bidders. Unfortunately and ironically, His Highness's cell was antiseptically free of all of those feelings. There was simply too much hipped on the plate. No fragile or vague sense of sympathy could have stood up against the overwhelming profusion of things. There was far too much on sale. It seemed to the visitor that a family with all that stuff couldn't possibly have loved any special bets among any of these. There simply would not be enough time for them to look at so many of these things. So they walked up and down, scanning silver beer tankards, great uh, delt plates, row on row of heavy and elaborate silver picture frames, bronze waterfall, porcelain gun dogs, and so on. On a table near a window, there were four or five small leather boxes standing open. They went up to look at them. They might contain some Jaipur necklace or bracelet listing on satin linings and so on. But they found a few items similar to those in a pawn shop window. 
a man's gold wristwatch, a little brooch set with a small green stone, a diamond solitaire ring, and so on. Now, the jeweler they had already seen was, uh, was sitting on the windowsill and chatting with another Parsi. When he greeted uh, this writer, he said, that's, looking at the ring, that's about the only interesting thing in the lot. And that's not too good. Obviously, he was not going to try to lose it. Meanwhile, uh, this English couple had found something that they liked. Four wide, shallow wooden chests full of flat silver. So they said they'll try for one of these tomorrow. The sets were amazingly complete. And they did not even have um, um, an, a sort of engraving with, uh, with the Raja's name on it. It was not engraved with the Highness's monogram. So they could really pass it off as their own. So there they said, we've got a chance. Most people love a royal monogram and that runs up the price. But they were not looking for one of those. So in the other large room to the next, to the left, they looked at more porcelain statues and an assortment of splendid luggage, including a trunk whose whole interior was divided up into compartments for shoes. Then they jotted down some more notes about a dressing room desk and a number of chairs. By now, they finished their tour and walked out of the entrance hall. They were a little nostalgic. The British couple said, uh, I imagine they'll pull this house down at some point. And the writer, who was American incidentally, tried once again to master some regret for something that was passing. And again, it was a failure. It's strange, the writer thought, and I quote, I like Maharajas all right, and it certainly gives me no pleasure to think they're in the same boat with Fifth Avenue millionaires and, and British ducks, obliged to sell, that is. But I feel, um, I don't know, I feel indifferent about the place. Now, this um, rather elaborate description of an auction of the properties of the Maharaja of Kashmir being sold from his Bombay palace one after another is but a very small snippet of the hundreds, perhaps thousands of such auctions which were held by the former Maharajas who had lost their property and possessions after the independence of India en masse. But it really gives us something to think about. What is it that generates uh, sympathy or regret or even a sense of guilt that you're picking up uh, stuff that somebody else had shown out of desperation? Why did the poverty or the relative... Um, decline of the Maharajas not attract any sympathy in India and anywhere else. 
That is an intriguing question, something that we probably should be following up later in greater detail. That's all for this episode of History Chatter. This is Anirban signing off and I look forward to seeing you next week with the next episode of History Chatter. Till then, do listen in to your favorite streaming apps and uh, Epilogue Media website. This is Anirban once again signing off. Thank you.